Good morning. It's good to see you today. We're very grateful for your presence this morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. We appreciate Tyler leading our singing today. Very thankful for that. We hope that Miss Connie gets better very soon. We are going to be looking at Luke 16. Luke 16, I would invite you to turn with me to Luke 16, verses 19, down through the end of the chapter. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Again, we welcome you to our services. If you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. Very grateful to you for being here today. We're always grateful to have visitors with us. We hope that if you are looking for a church home that you would consider the work here. We would love to have you come and be a part of our church family. I want to begin today by talking just a minute or two about the importance of hope. Many of you know what it means to live in hope. There are many people in our world today, some of you might be here today, and you are grappling with a debilitating illness or disease. Quite possibly, you have, you have a lot of suffering in your life. And your hope is for a better day. It might be that you're here today, and I'm sure that there are many, many people in our world today. Their circumstances in life are unfavorable. They're not happy. They're dissatisfied. Discontent with their lot in life. There is the hope for a better day. There are many people in our world today who've been married for many, many years. And rather than having a marriage of bliss, it's a marriage fraught with hurt and heartache and sorrow. And there's the hope for a better marriage. What I want to talk about today is not about hope, because I think that many of us are inspired by the word hope. But what I want to talk about today is a theme that we ought to give consideration to. And the subject is when all hope is gone. And I would grant that there are circumstances in life. There are situations that we find ourselves in when all hope is gone. I want us to look at Luke 16 and really what we're going to do today in our study is look at it from one vantage point. In our context, we have the veil lifted. The only time that I know of in Scripture where we are allowed to peer into the Hadean realm, the realm of the unseen, the realm of the dead. There are two individuals that are spoken of in this narrative. The one man is very wealthy, identified as a rich man. The other man is named Lazarus. And Lazarus is a beggar. We're not going to be looking at Lazarus in our study today, but rather we're going to look at it from the vantage point of the rich man. Because as we think about our study today, when all hope, is gone. We see it from his perspective. And so what I want us to do is to look at 
four very specific things in this text. I want to begin by, first of all, calling attention to the failure of the rich man. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously or lived in luxury every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And so in this context, first and foremost, we read of the failure of the rich man. I would submit to you that he failed to remember that death is inevitable. The Bible tells us that death is universal. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. Job said, Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while, and then he said, It vanishes away. In James 4.14, 4, death is universal, but also death can be unexpected. Nothing is said in our text about a protracted illness. We're not informed of any type of debilitating disease with regard to the rich man. The Bible simply says that he died. Whether he died expecting to die or if it came unexpectedly. I received word just the other day of a friend that I've known for many, many years. His obituary said that he died unexpectedly. I remember watching an interview back in 2001 at the Daytona 500. They had an interview with Dell Earnhardt. And he was sitting in front of his camper, his motorhome. The race had not started. And they interviewed him about the race. And he was talking about his hopes for that particular race. Little did he know, in less than probably five hours, he would be in eternity. Death can be unexpected. So I think about how he failed to remember. Death is inevitable, but then also he failed to remember that spiritual things are important. How many times do we hear it's important to live for the Lord? We hear it every day, don't we? We hear it all the time from friends, family members, preachers, teachers. We know it. We know it's important to have our house in order, as we say. You know, the Bible speaks of the invitation to come to Jesus. And over and over again, the Bible invites us to come to Jesus. Wasn't it Jesus that said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise is, I'll give you rest. 
Do you remember in Revelation chapter 22 and about verse 17, the Bible says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Let whoever will take of the water of life freely the invitation to come to Jesus. And by the way, that invitation is ongoing. You have the invitation today to come to Jesus. But I think about not just the invitation to come to Jesus, but the immediacy of coming to Jesus. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Listen very carefully. Today is the day of salvation. Not, to, not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next month. Not next year. Today. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there is such an emphasis on today? The immediacy of coming to Jesus. I have read this narrative many times as you have. And I've thought a lot about what Jesus has said in this context about on the one hand, the rich man, on the other hand, Lazarus. Isn't it interesting that not a word is said about the angels bearing the soul or spirit of the rich man to the Hadean realm? The Bible gives no insight into his spiritual inclinations or lack thereof. But rather, when we look at his life, we see a life that in many respects seems to be self-centered, self-serving. And so, the failure of the rich man. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see with me in our study. And that is the fate of the rich man. Now, the Bible says in verse 22... The rich man died and was buried. So, he's passed from this life. And we don't know if there was some grand send-off by his loved ones. Don't know anything about his funeral. But just think about this. No matter how lavish and ornate the send-off may have been, no matter how beautiful the sepulcher may have been that housed his remains, what was important was not the handling of his remains, but what is important in this text is where he found himself. Note if you would, verse 23, and being in torments in Hades. Now there are two basic abodes spoken of in Scripture with regard to the Hadean realm. Hades is simply the realm of the unseen. It's where the dead reside. 
On the one hand, you have a place called paradise, which is where the righteous go, identified by Jesus in this context as Abraham's bosom. You remember in Luke 23 when one of the thieves said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's where the righteous go. It's where the righteous will continue to go until the Lord comes. The flip side, however, there is also an abode for the unrighteous. It is a place identified by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 as a place called Tartarus in the original. It is spelled T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. It is the realm where the unrighteous, the ungodly, the unbeliever awaits the judgment. The rich man died. And the Bible says he lifted up his eyes in torment, into Taurus. What we find here is the suffering of the rich man. Presently speaking, the immensity of his suffering. And add to that the intensity of his suffering. I don't know how badly you have ever suffered in this life. I know there's some people that I'm not sure that I'm not sure that we would be able to gauge the immensity and intensity of their suffering. I remember one time visiting a young child at St. Jude Hospital. This child was battling cancer. And I remember on one occasion visiting his hospital room and this little baby was crying out in pain. And sadly, there was nothing really that could be done. The immensity and intensity of his pain without measure. Now, you may be here today and you are suffering in your present condition. Maybe you have suffered immensely in days gone by, but I want you to understand something. The suffering that this man, that this man faced in the Hadean realm, we can't begin to wrap our minds around. I want you to, to just lend a little bit of insight into the magnitude of his suffering. Look at verse 24. The Bible says that he cried out to Father Abraham and he said, Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean, really, really, really thirsty. I remember one time I was so thirsty. I mean really thirsty. 
I could not get enough liquid inside of my body. Now you just imagine, here is a fellow in the next realm, and he is in such immense and intense pain that in his heart of hearts, in his mind, he is thinking, look, if I just have a small drop of water, it'll cool my tongue. Let me tell you what, that is suffering. We can't begin to comprehend just how bad it is in the place of the unrighteous. Presently, this guy is suffering incredibly. But then, note if you would verse 25. Not only is he being haunted by his present suffering, but he's being haunted by the past. In verse 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. Speaking of Lazarus, the beggar. But he said, you're tormented. Now there's a word here I want you to see, and that word is remember. Remember. When you step out into eternity, your memory bank is not wiped clear. You don't step out into eternity and then become oblivious to all that you said and did here on planet earth. And what Abraham is saying to the rich man is, look, you need to remember. Remember your life. Remember how you lived. Now you think about all the opportunities and privileges that you've been blessed with and think about the abundance of things that God has bestowed on you. Think about all the wonderful things that you've had in life. And think about where the emphasis has been in your life. Has it been on the spiritual or on the material? Has it been on the eternal or on the temporal? What's the emphasis of your life? Wouldn't it be horrible to be in eternity and every single second of every single minute of every hour of every day, and I know time is no more in the next realm. But you just think about that constant thinking and thinking and thinking. And what's the thinking? I should have listened. I should have listened. How many times do we hear the gospel? We hear it over and over and over again. We hear the importance of living for God, of being faithful to God, and it runs right off our back. Like the rich man. This guy has eternity to think about what he should have done about what he didn't do? Could I ask you a personal question today? Will that be you in eternity? Will that be you? Will one day in eternity you think, you know, I should have obeyed the God. I should have become a Christian. I heard it over and over and over again. I heard today is the day of salvation. But you know what? 
I said, no. I knew. I knew the Bible says I need to be living a faithful life in Christ Jesus. I just didn't listen. Are you listening? Are you listening today? It's not possible for someone beyond the grave to speak to us, but I think in this sense, somebody beyond the grave is speaking to us. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Are we listening? There's a third thing I want you to see, and that is the family of the rich man. Here's something I think we miss sometimes. We're all headed to eternity. Where we spend eternity will rest upon us. It will rest upon you. But where you spend eternity, for good or bad, may also be where some in your family or where some of your friends spend eternity. If you don't make it to heaven, could it be that the collateral damage will be your family? Will it be your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter? So, Having said that, what about his family? First, what I see, passionate concern. Now you've got to think, this guy's in the next realm. He is now in eternity. He is in torment, and look, he's got eternity to think about his, his plight. But do you know what he's thinking about? Do you know what he's really worried about? Do you know, what his, do you know where his passion lies? He's thinking about his family. Note if you would. He said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them. Now let me just pause here for a minute. This guy's worried about his family. His passionate concern. There are two things here. His concern was genuine. His concern was grave. Look, he did not want his family members ending up in the same place. He is concerned about their situation. Passionate concern. As a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, whatever the case may be, as a brother, whatever, he did not want his people coming to join him in the Hadean realm. He was gravely concerned. He was genuinely concerned. So, note if you would, and we talk about his passionate concern, but note if you would, the perilous course of the rich man's family. He was worried about, number one, he was worried about their direction in life. Listen again to what he said in verse 27. He said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him. 
to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. He knew something about the direction that they were traveling in life, and what he, what he knew about them wasn't good. In his heart of hearts, he's thinking, you know what? They're headed, they are headed here. They're going to join me one day. I've got to uh, somehow avert this disaster. So he is concerned about their direction in life, but also he's concerned, listen, he is concerned about their destiny after this life. Well, how do I know that? Because he says in verse 28, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now, you know what? It'd be bad to lose your soul. It'd be terrible to end up in a place called hell. But it'd really be bad to think that because of your life, your influence, your actions, your family will join you. Don't want that. Now I want you to notice what is said. Abraham responds by saying, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that God's word is an imperative in your life. You want to be saved? You better know this book. This book is the gateway to salvation. And what he's saying, what he's saying to the rich man is, look, they've got the scriptures. If they want to be saved, if they want to avert this place of horrible anguish, they need to listen up. Are you listening? Are you listening this morning? Does Jesus have your attention? Verse 30. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Again, emphasis on Scripture. You better know this book. It's going to judge you one day. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, there's a fourth and final thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the future of the rich man. What about his future? Well, first and foremost, what you need to understand is he was in a place without help. No help coming. No help coming from the outside. No help coming from the inside. How'd you like to be in that position? You know, sometimes we're in a circumstance or we're in a situation in life and maybe things are bad and things are bleak and things don't look good and we're wondering, you know, how's this thing going to turn out? But then in our heart of hearts we say, you know what, everything's going to be all right because I know so-and-so is going to be here. I've got help coming. The Calvary's coming, as we say. Let me tell you what, there wasn't any help coming this, in this situation no help coming from the outside, no help coming from the inside. Once you get in this place that we call the Hadean realm, no coming back, no crossing over, 
No help coming. It'd be bad to be in a place where you are utterly helpless. But then add to that this dimension. Not only is it a place without help, it is a place without hope. No hope. No hope for a better day. No hope for a better destiny. No hope. Let me tell you about an incident that happened in my life. Years ago, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to start preaching for a small congregation in Nashville. When I graduated, I continued preaching there, just a small place. Nancy taught the teenage class for girls. And there was a teenage girl in that class. Her name was Anita. And she had a, she had a boyfriend. She was 19. And so she and her boyfriend are one day together. And as the story was related to us, they are handling a handgun. Why, I do not know. But as they handled this gun, it discharged accidentally. Struck her in the temple. She was rushed to the hospital. So we get to the hospital, and we visit her. By this time, she's in a room now. She's stable. And because of where the bullet penetrated her temple, there was a portion of her brain that was affected. And she wasn't able to talk. She could communicate by writing, and I think she knew sign language. And so we, I remember visiting her, and we visited and talked. And so on the way home, Nancy and I were talking, and we were talking about how much we hoped that she would learn from this incident in her life. That she had learned to be more careful, that she had learned a lot of things. But we had hope. I mean, we left thinking, you know what? It's bad, it's, it's not good, but she's going to be all right. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. What we didn't know at that time, the bullet creased a major artery behind her eye. And so, three or four days later, maybe not that long, the artery began to swell. As it began to swell, it put pressure on her brain. So we go back to the hospital. And I remember going in her room and by this time, she's on life support. If I recall correctly, I'm holding her lifeless hand, basically, praying. I was asked to lead prayer. So we have prayer. And then one evening, 
We're at the hospital, and the doctor comes out. And he said, clinically speaking, she is brain dead. There's no hope. Those brain cells do not regenerate. No hope. No hope. No hope. He said, I'm going to go in and turn the machine off. And in just a few minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, he said, she'll be gone. 15 to 20 minutes later, she was gone. 19 years old. No hope. What I'm saying to you today is if you step out into eternity unprepared to meet God, no hope. No hope. Can't give you any hope. So that's what it means when I said when all hope is gone. Right now there's hope. There's hope. But once you step out into eternity, it's like the doctor who says, there is no hope. We've done all we could do. On this side of eternity, we're doing all that we can do. But death will come. The Lord will come. And that will be that. So where are you? Where are you in this narrative? Maybe more importantly, where will you be based on this narrative? If you're here today and you have not come to Jesus, I don't know what would keep you from coming to him today. I don't know what would hold you back, pride, stubbornness. I mean, I mean something's got to be holding you back. What, what is it? What Jesus said 2,000 years ago was still true. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, repented of your sins, confessed his name, been baptized into Christ, you need to do it today and don't delay. Today's the day of salvation. If you're here today and you are not faithful to his cause, I would plead with you. Do not leave here today without making things right. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will pardon every sin. Won't you come as we stand and sing?